Hello, welcome to Classic Camera Revival, episode number two for July 2019. This is John Meadows, and I'm doing a solo run this time around with a deep dive on the Kodak Metalist 620 camera. Coming to you live from Toronto, Canada, this is the Classic Camera Revival. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you certainly will after listening to our show. Okay, like I said, I am going to be looking into the Kodak Metalist 620 camera, a camera considered by many, present company included, as one of the best American-made and built film cameras of all time. So, a little bit of history. The year is, you know... 1940, 1941, um, you know, there's war on the horizon, and then in December 41, war hits the, uh, the U.S. And they had a bit of an issue before that. The military needed a high-grade film camera to use, but a lot of the, uh, the best cameras were being made by German companies, and, you know, Germany and the, and the West weren't exactly the best of friends right now, so they needed to build something something that was solid, uh, reliable, and took amazing pictures. And so Kodak was tasked with delivering the Kodak Metalist. Now, the Metalist uses 620 film. I'll talk a little bit more about 620 film a bit later in the episode, but suffice it to say right now, it's uh, it's medium format. The, the film is the same size, from a film frame perspective as 120, but the uh, the spool is different. And we'll again, we'll get into that whole mess later in the show. So the first version of the camera, the Kodak Metalist 1, and this is the one that I have, was delivered to the military in the U.S. in 1941. And basically, until the end of the war, this camera was really not sold to civilians. There's no information about what the list price would have been because that's not the way it uh, it worked back then in terms of uh, selling to the army. So this was a, an army camera through and through. Now some of the uh, the basic statistics, like I said, it's 620. It shoots six by nine, so you have eight beautiful large frames per roll of film. The lens is a permanently attached. 100 millimeter f 3.5 ektar lens it is of a heliar design the shutter is supermatic and the speeds are b through uh, one four hundredth of a second the range finder is interesting it is a split image type range finder when you look through the the viewfinder you see the compositional window so to speak uh up top, and then right below that, you see a second window for a split image range finder. And this takes a bit of getting used to, although, you know, if you position your eye just right, you can see both the compositional and the, uh, the range finder window at the same time with one eye. So it's a step above certain cameras, let's say like the Leica 3 series, which had a different, uh, window for range finding focus and a different window for composition. Um, the good thing about the range finder mechanism in this camera is that unlike some cameras that use, let's say, silver mirrored, uh, silver mirrors, which can, you know, desilver over time or 
or just generally de- degrade. And, you know, you often see, uh, let's say, Leicas or Contaxes or other rangefinders of the time where the, uh, you know, the rangefinder patch has gotten faded and the rangefinder is hard to use. With the, the Metalist, with its prism-based system, it's pretty good. So, you know, as, if the rangefinder works, the view through the viewfinder will be, uh, will be pretty good. Again, that's assuming that the rangefinder works. Like these cameras are close to 80 years old now, so sometimes you will have to do some repair on them. The camera also had some other interesting features that you didn't really see in the, in the day. For example, the uh, film back is, or like the, uh, the, the hinged back, uh, is completely removable and can be replaced with uh, a ground glass accessory to allow focusing and shooting with a kind of uh, sheet film. I've never seen any of these accessories in the flesh. I think they're made of unobtainium at, at this point. But uh, they were uh, they were some interesting features. There is a really nifty depth of field indicator on the top of the camera that, almost to my eyes, has sort of a, an Art Deco kind of look. When you see the uh, the pictures in the show notes, you'll you'll see what I mean. Now, the Model One had some issues. Um, the very first issue that came up was with the lens. Now, the lens is a uh, I can never pronounce it properly. Uh, helicoil, the helicoily design, <coughs> helicoil design, and the original ones were like the the two barrels were aluminum, and the navy liked to use these. And the problem is, wherever you find the navy, you find salt water, and so the, the lenses started, the lens barrel started to corrode. So what they did, as sort of a transitional model, the uh, the later model ones, they uh, instead of just regular aluminum, they anodized them black, and so this was a lot more of a, um, a salt water resistant housing, and it did solve that issue. Uh, a couple of other problems with the Metalist is that uh, its slow speed set collar on the on the top of the camera used to work with uh, you know longer longer shutter speeds. Let's say you know in in, in uh, excess of, of one second. If you if the shutter button, which has a very long throw by the way, w- was not fully returned, and you tried to set a slow speed adjustment on the collar, uh, you could jam the shutters. And a lot of these older model ones also tended to have uh, jam shutters. So, yeah, these were things that you had to had to be careful of. And there are also uh, some features that you know you you had to read the manual on how to how to use this camera. In fact, if I haven't used it for a while, I'll I'll read the manual. Loading film can be a little bit tricky. There are, you know, lots of buttons and dials you have to move to get it aligned to the first frame. You you do have to use a red window just to line up the first frame and then once once you've done the settings after that, then it's uh it's automatic frame advance after that, but Getting there is half the fun. I think the most dangerous uh, thing to watch out for with this camera is that is the use of the one four hundredth of a uh, second shutter speed. Now, for the one four hundredth shutter speed, if you let's say wind the film and cock the shutter and then set it to one four hundredth, 
you'll you'll break the shutter. It's uh, you know it will not be a happy day. And what I find interesting, this is the complete reverse of a similar issue with uh, the Barnack Leicas uh, and some of the uh, former Soviet Union cameras that also use you know, this kind of thing. But in in that case, you have to cock the film, like wind the frame, cock the film, and then change the shutter speed. So this is sort of the the polar opposite of that. And so my highly technical solution is I avoid using the, the 1 400th shutter speed. For what I'm doing with this camera, the uh, the 1 200th is just fine. Now, so the, the Model 1 was made from 1941 to 1948. But then in the post-war, from 1948 to 1953, they had the Model 2. And the Model 2 was an improvement in a number of respects. First of all, they added flash sync. Now, this is bulb sync, I'm afraid. Uh, the first model did not have flash sync whatsoever. And the, the bulb sync, it did, it had, they had to do away with both the, uh, the slow speed collar, which is no big loss. And there is a fine focusing knob on the model one that does not appear on the model two. But overall, the changes made, uh, the camera much less prone to jamming. Also, there were issues with some model ones of film transport issues over time. And the, and so the, the film transport, the winding in the Model 2 is generally seen as much more reliable. So I'm lucky so far. Of course, I also had mine repaired. But again, it's something to keep in mind um, if you're looking for one. Generally speaking, uh, if you can find a Model 2 in good shape, I would take that over a Model 1. But the question is, can you get one in uh, in good shape? Now, I'm going to talk about the uh, the lens, and the lens is the absolute wonder and glory of this camera. Like I said, it's a 100mm f3.5 Ektar, and of course Ektar is the, uh, the moniker that Kodak reserved for its best lenses, and this one is no different. Like I said, it's a Heliar design, and so f3.5, that's fairly fast for a 100 millimeter lens and also the fact that it's a heliar design and this lens is sharp 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 and i find also if you if you uh, shoot it fairly wide open and use you know selective focus you can get a very kind of cinematic quality the very earliest of these lenses in the model one were not coated at least as far as we know as the model as the as the model run for model one went along, there started to be some uh, in coating of internal surfaces, and some people say they think there were a few that had some external coating as a transitional model. I can't uh, I can't prove that one way or another. When model two came out, the uh, the lenses were coated, including externally, and so you know you'll get less flare that kind of thing. Although I find with mine. Um, I've never run into a problems with flare or lower contrast. I just put a, a lens hood on and I'm good to go. Now, speaking of lens hoods, I am going to segue into one of the topic and that is filters. Uh, this camera does not use the standard, you know, millimeter based filter size. So, you know, you can't put on a 52 millimeter and away you go. This uses the series format of, um, of filters. And it, uh, in, uh, specifically, 
it uses a Series 6 size filter. And so if you don't know what uh, uh, Series filters are, this is an alternate system where you could basically buy uh, various retaining rings and then drop in discs that were the actual uh, filter glass. It is sort of fiddly. Um, it, it does work. What you can find, um, they're not always the easiest to find, but if you look around, you can sometimes get um, adapters, like let's say a step up from a, uh, a V6 to, I don't know, maybe like a 55 or a 52 millimeter filter. And so if you can find one of these, you will, uh, you'll be able to save some money. Although, you know, if you shop around, you know, go to a, um, a camera boot sale or something, look for the guy who has a ton of filters. Maybe he has some series, uh, based filters and, if you can get those, you might get them for a good price, and and then you're uh, you're all set. So uh, what I want to do now is talk about uh, 620 film. Remember when people were pissed off at Kodak for introducing the APS format? Some people said, you know, this is a format that doesn't isn't really needed. What's wrong with 35 millimeter? There were people who felt that way when. Kodak introduced the 620 format in 1935. Now, the 620 format was originally called that because the 6 was going to stand for 6 exposures. However, the first rolls of 620 had 8 exposures. The film is the exact same size as the 120 format stock, but the spindle uh, is this, the center portion of the spindle of the... Of the um, the film reel is uh, thinner. The flanges are also thinner. So you can't just take 120 film and jam it into the Kodak Metalist. There were some other 620 cameras that you could either, you know, put a 120 roll in the take-up reel um, or could use both. But the Kodak Metalist, that's not one of these. And, you know, people thought, you know, the Kodak was looking at the 120 market saying, hey, this is getting too popular people are buying film that's not made by Kodak, and we can't have that. So they figured by 620, they could try and control the entire uh, process from cradle to grave. And, you know, they, there were a lot of 620 cameras made. You know, the, the Brownie, for example, uh, probably the most common 620 camera made. Um, and there were others, but they all tend to be sort of varying degrees of crap. Or, okay, let's say lo-fi, you know, I, when I say crappy camera, I'm saying it with love. The Kodak Metalist was in a league by itself in terms of being a high, high-quality camera that used uh, 620. And so now they stopped making 620 film, at least Kodak did, in the early 1990s. And so hence the problem. There's not a lot of 620 film out there. You can find vintage stuff on eBay. There are companies that do re-rolls. But it tends to be very, very expensive. And so what I recommend is that uh, you do your own re-rolling of 620 onto 120 spools. It's really not that hard. All you need are some 620 spools. And sometimes you can get them by, you know, buying a crappy 620 camera at a garage sale for $2. And hopefully it'll have a spare 620 reel in there. I believe our friends at FPP, the Film Photography Project, also sell them. I I bought some from them some time ago. Uh, 
and they work just fine, so you might want to check there. And then what you do is either in your dark room or a changing bag, you take your roll of 120 film and you take two, it's very important to have two 620 spools. And uh, in the changing bag, you will first of all wind the film from the original 120 spool onto the 620 spool, keeping it fairly, fairly tight. Uh, don't cinch or don't pull on it um, until it gets right to the end and the film is completely wound through and is tails up, as they call it, on the first 620 spool. Then the next step is to take the second 620 spool and to wind the film back onto it. This is the part that's a little tricky, takes a little bit of practice, because you have to make sure that the film, which is not taped down to the paper at the end of the roll, picks up uh, carefully. If you do a search on YouTube, there are a number of of videos that go through the process and give you a demonstration. So I'd recommend doing that. The main thing is try and keep your hands off the film and resist the temptation to, to cinch things really, really tight because you can leave cinch marks, aka scratches, on the film. The, the best, the, in my opinion, this is the best way to go for a number of reasons. There are people who will modify 620 cameras to to take 120 film, I think, you know, if, if the wrong person does that, you know, you, you get end up with a butchered camera. I'd rather leave the camera as it is. So that's advantage number one. Advantage number two is you can use any 120 film in, uh, in this camera. For example, at some point, in the, hopefully the very near future, Kodak will be releasing their Ektachromi 100 slide film in 120 format. And you can bet that one of the things that I plan to do is re-spool a roll of that onto 620 spools and shoot it in the medalist because the combination of that Ektar lens and the uh, the E6, that there's nothing like a large format or, well, it feels like large format. It's a medium format but a large slide compared to 35 millimeter, it's really quite something to look at. And so if you do the roll your own method, nothing is holding you back. The only thing you have to be careful of is that if you're not developing film yourself, you have to have a develop a uh, film finishing company you trust because you want to ask them like can I get the core back like the uh, the old 620 reel and you have to make sure that they'll actually do it. If uh, if you don't have confidence that they will or they flat out say they won't, then what I would recommend is when you shot the film in a changing bag, re-roll it back onto a 120 spool um, and then take it to the, uh, the place to get finished. And then that way, your precious 620 spools are, uh, are safe to use. Now, is this a camera that you want to use? Some of the... I'm going to go through some of the potential, you know, downsides. Let's talk ergonomics. For a camera its size, it is not light. It is a pretty heavy beast. And also it's it sort of has a weird semi-triangular shape that makes it hard to get a grip, a grip that you find comfortable. Um, I find using and what uh, Kodak recommended at the time was thumb on the bottom 
this is your right thumb, and then um, left index finger would push the shutter as sort of a pincher movement. And, and that works, but this is not going to be an ergonomic superstar by any means. The other thing that irritates me, and I've, I think I mentioned this a bit earlier, is that there is a fairly long throw for the, the shutter button. You, it's like you're pushing down for what seems like an eternity before it clicks. It's definitely something that you have to get used to. But I think once you get used to, once you get used to it, you're fine. And also, like I said earlier, this is a camera where reading the manual is critical because, for the reasons I mentioned, this is not a hard camera to break. It's not foolproof. But then back then, Kodak would say, well, we didn't make this camera for fools to use. So there's a certain kind of, I guess, personal responsibility that you have to accept when using this camera. The other thing is finding someone who can work on them. I was very lucky to have Ken Ruth work on mine. When I got mine, I probably paid a bit too much for it. In retrospect, it had a lot of problems. And after about a, after spending nine months on his waiting list, uh, Ken Ruth repaired it and sent it to me. And now it works, it works great. Ken Ruth was the medalist guy, but then he retired. And I hope he enjoys a long, happy retirement. It's nice to see camera repair guys actually get a chance to retire as opposed to dying on the repair bench. But of course, that means that the sort of the acknowledged expert on the medalist was gone. And I'm not sure how easy a camera it is to repair. I seem to recall that someone on the negative pod positives uh, Facebook group mentioned a link to someone else who said they can do it. But if you're going to buy one, I would at least, you know, I'd, I'd be nervous at this point buying one sight unseen on eBay unless you have, or, or Craigslist or whatever, um, unless you have firm return privileges because you will want to run a roll of film through this just to see, um, just to see that it works. But if you find one that works and it feels okay in the hand and you feel that you can get used to the its ergonomic quirkiness, I think that's about the most charitable way that I can put it, then you'll be amazed at the results that you get from uh, from this lens. This is one of the best lenses in my collection, I'd, I'd have to say. And I should use the camera more often than I do. It's just a question of ergonomics and sometimes I'm too lazy to re-roll 620 but apart from that it uh, it's an amazing camera it deserves a a hallowed place in American history as one of the high points of of their camera design so I'd be inclined you know if you like I said if you like it give it a shot you'll get some amazing uh, amazing results well I think I'm going to wrap up the deep dive episode now i hope you enjoyed it uh, and uh, our next episode will have more of the gang back we have all kinds of interesting things planned for uh the end of the summer and into the fall for various episodes so i'll end by saying this is john meadows and remember finding a good camera is like looking for a good athlete at the olympics if you found a medalist you're in good shape Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.